wonder, I wonder if you've got a love-hate relationship with work. Um, some people in Australia do, you may have noticed. So we have these sort of bumper stickers come up. Have a look at this one. Um, ever seen that one? Maybe that maybe maybe that's on your car, I don't know. Uh, or this one. You know, the culture at work, sometimes kind of you have this thing about how do you keep people motivated, right? Gets a bit tough. Some bosses do all sorts of things. Uh, or this one. So people kind of make jokes about work, right? So they kind of say, well, work's a pretty difficult place to be. Or even this one. Uh, you might see this in the morning. You might feel this in the morning. We have to go, but some people think, right, you know, it's inevitable, but we don't have to like it. Now, you might have work that's fantastic and that's great, but there's a lot of people out there who feel like work is a bit of a drag and they kind of put up with it. So here's a quote about work and the future. You know, when you think about how do you get God's perspective on something, cutting it out, um, one, one thing you can do is look at the beginning of the Bible and see what's written there, trace it through, and then look at the end of the Bible and you kind of get this perspective on things. So I want to have a, a bit of a, when you think about that as work, uh, this quote says, in heaven we shall not rest from our work, but from our labours. There will be no toil, no pain in the work, but there will be work. Some people think they have a bad experience of work, so they think eternity, God's purpose is for the world and for people. You know, work just stops and you just drink beer for, for you know, 24-7 for the rest of eternity. That's some people's vision of heaven. Or they think, you know, you're on a cloud and you're sort of plucking a harp or something like that. That's, you know, the medieval vision of heaven. Kind of a little cherub like that. Or some people think it's just chilling out for eternity, doing nothing like at a health spa for the rest of eternity. But if you look at the trajectory of where the Bible goes, where it starts and where it goes, work is actually a big part of what God wants us to be in. And it doesn't stop in the new creation. So there's even references to this. Jesus says, he says, we will judge angels. Now, I don't exactly know what that means, but it means kind of like there are hundreds of millions of angels we're talked about, and the humanity somehow is involved in administering whatever goes on in the whole universe. That's an interesting thing to think about. It also talks about, Jesus says, uh, he puts people in charge of cities and says, you know, you're going to be looking after a city. Now, that's interesting because that means that work doesn't actually finish. It's not chilling out. There's something productive. There's something to be done for the whole of eternity. So if you're thinking, you know, it is drinking beer 24-7, uh, I hate to disappoint you, but there's actually going to be work to do. There's activity and work but it's not frustrating work. Think about the best job you've ever had with the best boss you've ever had in the most meaningful occupation you've ever had. Now, some people have got that now. Some people have really meaningful context of work. Think of the best one and, and launch that out forever. And that's, kind, that's a, a glimpse of what work might be like in the new creation. Fulfilled, doing something meaningful, having the best team you've ever had, the best boss you've ever had, it's actually something to look forward to. Work is a good thing. It's not something that comes in because of the fall. It existed before the fall, 
and it will exist forever. It doesn't go away. So that's the context of work. I want to talk about God's work, our work, and how it all works. Okay. So I want to start in John chapter 5. So this is the scripture. Um, Jesus is talking about how he goes about doing God's work. So John 5.16, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so earlier in the chapter, Jesus healed a man who was lame. He couldn't walk. Jesus heals him, but it's a Sabbath. You'd think people would be happy, but lots of people are not happy because it's a Sabbath. You're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. Uh, So they're upset with him. And in defense of himself, Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day. So Jesus says that God is at work. And God's always at work. He doesn't even take Sabbath. He's working, healing this guy on the Sabbath. Jesus said, that's God's work. uh, And I got involved in that when that guy got healed. And I did God's work. And this is the type of work that God does. Healing someone who is lame, that's God's work. God is a restorer. God is a healer. God is ultimately bringing everything into a place where he's going to make creation fantastic again. He's going to restore and redeem everything. He started it off, he's going to finish it, and he's going to complete this work, and it's going to be perfect. Is that good news? That's what God's job is. God's job is to take the brokenness of our world and of us, and his heart is to make that redeemed and perfect. That's God's job. That's what he does. That's God's activity in our world. God is actively involved. God is not distant and removed. He actively gets involved in our world. God cares about the guy who can't walk. He understands the frustrations we go through. He he knows all that. And at least part of God's work in this world is bringing restoration and wholeness to people. You know, even when we hear the term good news in the gospel, you know what that means? God is restoring everything to make it perfect. That's what the good news of the kingdom of God taking control again of everything and making it all perfect. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what it means in all the gospels. Uh, And of course, part of that, central part, is Jesus uh, on the cross and what we just celebrated in communion, providing a forgiveness so we'd be reconciled to God and then his spirit can come and live in us so we can live the lives that God wants us to live. That's the good news of the kingdom. When God's kingdom comes, when his rule is expressed, people's lives are restored. So when Jesus turns up, we see the kingdom. We see God's in control again. The blind eyes are open. People who are disturbed find peace. And in the case of the lame man, which this chapter is about, uh, he, he can walk again. This is God's work. This is what he does. When he becomes king, all of creation is put right again. 
things are restored to their beauty and their wholeness, including us. Now, the Jewish leaders didn't like that. Uh, They tried to kill him all the more. He'd mentioned God was his father, so they thought he was saying, well, I'm I'm equal with God. Uh, Now, that wasn't really what he was saying, but hey, when you're against someone, you can't really listen to reason anyway. That's not, not that that's true, but that's not the point he was making. This is an important aspect of God's work. According to Jesus, God is at work always in our world. It's constant. There's a stream of activity from heaven to earth. It's like, you know, at the moment, the radio station or the TV stations, they're, they're broadcasting now, but you, you're not, maybe not picking it up. It's, it's broadcasting. God is at work. We might not perceive it, though. Just like a radio signal or a TV signal, it's broadcasting, but maybe we're not picking it up because we haven't got things tuned. God is actively present. He's interested in the lives of people. He sees the struggle. He cares about the stuff. And he's at work to bring about restoration. That's what God does. That's who God is. Okay, so Jesus talks about God's work in the world, and then he talks about his own work in the world. So now that we go to verse 19. So Jesus gives them this answer uh, after they criticize him. Very truly I tell you, the son, referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. That's a pretty amazing thing for Jesus to say. He's kind of given us a behind-the-scenes glimpse about what, what it's like for him to be the son of God on earth. This is how he goes about what he does. The son can do nothing by himself. Or or really saying, the son does nothing from his own initiative. He's not here setting goals, trying to be prolific and productive. He's not into that. That's not what Jesus is doing. Nothing by himself. Nothing from his own initiative. He's not about maximizing his own potential. It's about discovering what God is on about and getting involved in that. That is the sole thing that Jesus does. Surrendering to God and only doing what the Father gives him to do. So I think what that means is Jesus is here on earth. He's he's a human being like all of us. He has family. He has work. He has all these relationships. He's waiting. He's listening looking and he's picking up God's instruction and God's guidance and as soon as he gets it he goes off and does whatever God calls him to do. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So in the case of the lame man, God somehow Jesus becomes aware, here's a guy who can't walk and God, God's work is to is to heal him, to let him walk again. So somehow Jesus becomes aware. He perceives it. He sees it. He sees that God is doing something in this guy's life. And after perceiving that, he thinks, well, if that's what the Father is up to, I'm going to join God in what he's doing. And 
how does he join God? He goes up to him and he says, pick up your mat and walk. That's his role. But the work is actually from God. And the guy's healed. So Jesus makes himself available. That's what he's doing. He's making himself available for what the Father is doing. You know what it's like to make yourself available. We do it all the time. You've got a roster at work and you say, well, I'm going to block out. I can't work these days. I'm available for those days. Even in the church, you know, we've got um, planning centre. And you can say, look, I'm on, I'm on this team, but I can't do this, so I make myself unavailable for those times. Can you imagine God rostering us in the work of restoring creation? And he's looking around. Who can I use now? And, and we've blocked out all this time. Sorry, God. I've got stuff to do. Uh, I'm, you can't call me on those times because I've got an agenda. Sorry, God, not available. Now, Jesus told a parable over that, didn't he? This very thing. He said there's a wedding on. And lots of people are being invited to the wedding. And it says, as they get the invitation, they, they look at it and they say, I'm not available. I can't make it. I've got other stuff on. I just got married. I just bought some land. Someone in my family is not well. And all of these excuses start coming up as to why they can't make it to the wedding. The one who invited them, who, who's holding the wedding, says, okay, so you're not available. I'm not changing the date. You can't make it. I'm going to send the invitation out to others, and they're going to get involved. They're the ones who will get invited. If you make yourself unavailable, God uses someone else. He invites someone else. In fact, the parable's told about the Jewish people. They, Jesus came and they were really unavailable to God because they already had an agenda about what God was going to do. God showed up and did stuff and they said, let's kill this guy. Others get to share in the wedding when the guests make themselves unavailable to attend. And the parable is about making ourselves available to respond to God's invitation. So here's Jesus. He models what human life is meant to be. He's, he's the person who lives out human life perfectly. Uh, he's able to discern what is God asking of him. Every time that God asks something of him, he makes himself available, joins God, and God's work is done. I suggest that something like this is how Jesus sees himself in this world. So in verse 20, it says, The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Now, it's not a slave, it's not, a, it's not talking about slavery. God says, Do that. Okay, I'll do it. It's not, that's not what's being described. It happens within a relationship of love. The Father loves the Son, the Father's at work, and the Son makes himself available to join the Father in that work, in this loving relationship. When he sees God's at work, he joins him. So the intention, God's intention, God initiates the work in the world of restoration. But really, God, I don't know what your view is on this, but what we see in the Bible is that God is looking for a human being to complete his work on the earth. Jesus puts himself at the very center of God's purposes. So God's wanting to do something, and Jesus says, I'm available. And he goes and does things. 
God's work is made complete through a human being on this earth. A human being made in God's image, fully available to be used as God sees fit. That's what God's intention for us is. To live in this relationship of love. And in that relationship, God invites us to share in what he's doing. We become part of what he's up to. Unfortunately, everyone in history, all of us, have blocked out huge chunks of time for our own stuff. Uh, and we've said, God, that's not part of my agenda. What you're up to, it doesn't fit with my vibe or my timetable. Everyone in history has done this. We've made ourselves unavailable to God at various levels. And this relationship with God, we've put it, it's not at the top of the agenda, it's somewhere down here. And so God maybe gets a little bit here and there, but he's not the first, he's, he's, his time and his work is not the first thing on our mind. It's low on our agenda. So at best, we only serve God half-heartedly and half the time. But in Jesus, someone who is fully available to God, fully available to do God's work in this world. Okay, so we talk about God's work. It's always happening. And Jesus says, I'm going to get involved in what God is doing. The son, I don't do anything from my own initiative. I plug into what God's doing. And then the work gets done. God's work gets complete. Let's talk about our work. So in verse 21, um, oh, sorry, let's, um, Jesus, he dies, right? He does the work of God. Part of that work is to die for our sin. That was part of the work. And then he gets raised again, and he gets raised to the right hand of God. He's lifted up to the right hand of God. He's no longer with us, but he promised before he left, I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to give you another comforter. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. God is going to be with you, not only with you, but in you. I'm going to leave you the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. So this is after the resurrection, verse 20. Uh, so yeah, after uh, verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, who was sent to do the Father's will, uh, he, he looked, he heard, he saw, he made himself available. And now it's a bit like a runner in a relay. So he's, he's like the, the runner who's run and he's got this baton. 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 Australia, hey. He's got the baton. And the next runners is the disciples. And he's saying, here's uh, doing the will of God on earth. I've done it. I've made myself available. And God's will is now that I go. I'm going to go by the cross and be raised. But I'm going to take this baton. I'm going to hand it to you. As the Father sent me, I, I took this from the Father. I did his will on earth. And now I'm taking it. I'm giving it to you guys, the disciples. As the Father sent me, so I now send you. It's your turn to run. Jesus has gone back to God. He's sharing God's throne. He's directing the affairs of earth from there. He gives his spirit to guide empower each of us. 
just as Jesus was sent by the Father, now he sends us. He is filled with the Spirit, and now that same Spirit is given to us. Receive the Spirit, Jesus says. So our job is to continue the work that Jesus started, to do the things that he did, to be available by God, to be used by God for his purposes in the world. Discerning God's intention. Joining God at the work that he's doing. God hasn't stopped working. God is still at work. And our job is to find out what that is and get involved. That's how God gets his work done. He's still looking for human beings made in his image. He's still looking for them to get involved so his work gets completed in the world. It doesn't kind of just magically happen. People are at the center of this. The power to do the work is the same power that was in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. We are instructed, go and make disciples of all nations. But that's got to really come down to our life, our neighborhood, our workplace, our school. Where is God at work around us? We make ourselves available in a certain place. God is at work there. Our job God, what are you doing? I'm going to join you. As the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus has now sent us to do God's work in the world. What is the work? Restoring people's lives, making disciples, making people who look like Jesus. That's the work that Jesus gave us to continue that fat passed to us. Just Briefly, I want to summarize again the work of Jesus. So verse 19 again. The Father's at work. The Son only does what he sees the Father doing. He doesn't have his own agenda. He surrenders his agenda to be on God's agenda. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. That's the model. God's still at work in the world. He's still restoring lives. He's still turning hearts to himself. Uh, and we are invited in to share in that work. But we need discernment. What is it that God is calling us to do? How can we be involved? Well, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. The Father loves us. He will show us all that he's doing. As part of the love relationship with the Father, it's not just salvation. You know, God loves us, and often we think about what Jesus has done for us in dying for us, and that's absolutely true. But in addition, God loves us, and he wants to, like a father to a child, raise us up in that relationship of love. That's part of his love. There are good works prepared in advance for each of us to do. The Father will reveal what they are. Our job, to make ourselves available and to be alert so that when we find what, what is God up to, we're ready to join him. So I suppose the question, how available are we for this work of God? And how do we see, how do we perceive what God is up to? How do I see where God is at work so that I can join him if he asks me? The TV signal, I think, is always playing. It's always there, it's going through us, but we need a receiver. We need to tune in in order to view it, hear it. 
God's always communicating. He's always at work, Jesus says. But are we tuning in? Or is our TV off? Or are we on another station? Maybe we're playing Xbox. Now, there's nothing wrong with Xbox, right? <laughs> I'm just using it as an example. Uh, the signal is always there, even going through us. But we've got to tune into it. Remember, I talked about the dish. We have the capacity to hear from God. Uh, we are like, our, our human spirit is like, you tune to God and we can receive from God, messages from God, like a radio telescope. But we have to point it, we have to tune it, we have to be available and listening or watching. So I want to do a little exercise with you. It's not initially a spiritual exercise, but for some people, this opens the door for them to be able to begin to perceive what God is up to. It's like a little doing something that then might have bigger consequences later. So there's a little episode in the book of Jeremiah. So this is, uh, yeah, let's go to this one. There's a little, little episode at the start of the book of Jeremiah. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah replies, I see the branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to him, you've seen correctly. For I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So in Hebrew, the word for almond sounds like the word for watch. So it's like a play on words. There's lots of that in the Old Testament. Prophets are doing it all the time. There's all these plays on words. Uh, so what's happening here? God has got an agenda. God wants to communicate something. He's got something he wants to do. So he communicates to Jeremiah, and it's in visual form. Jeremiah is available. He's tuned in. He sees the message that God wants to communicate to him. And then God says, what are you seeing? In other words, he wants to check whether it's right. Uh, and he says he's seen correctly. He's, God gave him a picture of an almond tree in his brain. And Jeremiah goes, yeah, I can see an almond tree. God goes, okay, the message is getting through. So there's something happening when the prophet is listening to God. God's giving him a message. The prophet is tuned in somehow and perceives the message correctly and then goes and does all the stuff the prophet does, speaks it out or does this act, whatever he's meant to do. So I want to do an exercise. Now, it's not initially a spiritual exercise, but for some people this can become a open a door for certain other things. So um, most people can do this. There's about 5% of people, there's a condition called aphantasia, where you can't visualize in your brain. There's certain people, there's only a small percentage of people can't do it. It's a medically known thing. But everybody else should be able to do this. So what I want you to do is close your eyes. So I'm not going to pull any stunts, so you can hopefully close your eyes without any sense of um, threat. Now, what I want you to do with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine in your mind a cat. Imagine a cat. What is it? You, you sh most human beings, 19 out of 20, have the capacity to imagine something visually. See if you can picture that cat in your mind. What I want you to do is look at that cat like... Think about the cat that you're imagining. Think about the colour of it. Uh, maybe it's black or white or tabby or grey or something else. You have imagined a cat. 
So just look at it, think about it, perceive it. Okay, now erase the cat. I still close. Now again, there's a few people that won't be able to do it, and it's okay. It's not it doesn't it's not the end of the world. What I want you same same thing. Imagine a pig. So imagine in your mind a pig. Think about that pig. What colour is it? What features does it have? Try and notice as much as you can about that pig. Maybe it's wearing something. I don't know. Now, keep your eyes closed. I want you to keep that image of the pig in your mind. And I want to ask you a question about it. Okay, eyes closed still. And, and the image of the pig. Where does that image appear in your mind? Or where does it appear in your consciousness? Think about the pig. Where exactly is the pig? Is it For some people, it's kind of like in front of their eyes, some, where your, the eyelids are. Some it's kind of in this space between. Notice where the pig appears. It, it, it would be the same place the cat appeared, but think about the pig. Where is that pig? So think about where is it in your consciousness, in your mind. Okay, I want you to open your eyes now. Were people able to imagine a cat and a pig? Some people can't. So most people can. Okay, And uh, I won't ask you to describe the cat or the pig. Uh, did anyone have a, well, did anyone have a, uh, did any cats or pigs have clothes on? No? Most people have the capacity to imagine like that. Uh, you know, you've got memories. You can remember something if you've seen it. And you can actually create these images. Where that cat appeared, or where the pig appeared, uh, somewhere, I don't know where it appeared for you, but most people can identify the place it appeared. I wanna, I'm going to call that, that place, it's like a screen, it's like a movie screen. Call it the screen of your mind. Okay, it's, it's just something that human beings have. We have the ability to imagine, and we picture things on the screen of our mind. It's like a faculty, something in our mind that we all have, some people don't perceive it well. Just a small percentage of people, but most people can perceive it. It's been called the mind's eye in literature, but I think better to talk about it as the screen of the mind. You can project your imagination onto that, and you can sort of look at it and perceive it. It's a human phenomenon. It's not a particularly spiritual thing. It's just a human reality. You can imagine with your brain. So from the text... Uh, Jeremiah receives the word of the Lord and at least part of what it means to him to receive that is something visual. The image of a branch of an almond tree. And God asks him, what did you see? He says an almond tree. And the Lord said, yep, I've, you, you've seen it correctly. Now what happened for Jeremiah? I think that God, the Holy Spirit, used Jeremiah's natural faculty of imagination and placed the almond branch on the screen of his mind so that he could see it. God did that. That's how God gave him the vision. He used the human capacity of visualization. The Holy Spirit utilized Jeremiah's human capacity, gave him the vision, and I think Jeremiah perceived it on what we call the screen of the mind. 
Now, you can't prove that, but I think it makes a lot of sense that that's how that would have occurred. It exists in all people. The screen's there for everyone. Just a few, few can't see it. Natural human capacity. You can, you can put information on that screen yourself. You did it with a cat and a pig. Now, it's probably true also that an evil spirit could put information there as well. That's why you always have to discern things that you see or perceive. But let's assume as believers in Jesus, uh, and we're not into bad stuff, if, there's, if you're into bad stuff, there's a remedy for that. It's called repentance, right? Get out of the bad stuff and uh, walk with God. But I find that this reality, knowing that has unlocked a whole raft of um, experiences that God communicates to us visually, or at least he does to me and to many others particularly if I'm praying for someone or if I'm seeking guidance, I often find that God speaks to me in that place. I look to the screen. Psalm 5 says this, O Lord, in the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. It doesn't actually say look up. It just says look. I wonder when David is praying, he's praying to God and then he's looking. God, what are you going to show me? What are you going to show me in my prayer time? Once you know that that screen is there and you start becoming familiar with it and you prayerfully engage with God, ask God if he wants to speak to you. Look to the screen and see what's there. I had an experience this week. I was praying for someone uh, and and I, I sat with them. It was in a car and I was praying with this person in a car and immediately I closed my eyes and went to pray for them. A microscope, I had a picture of a microscope in my, on that screen in my brain. Now, I don't go around life thinking about microscopes. You might, I don't. Uh, but I shared with him and said, um, I, I can see a picture of a microscope. And when I did that, I suddenly had a sense of how I should pray for him. Because that... That picture unlocked a sense of how to pray. He had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and it just, it's, for me, it often happens, I close my eyes like that and immediately something's there. And sometimes I won't say it at all, but it will guide my prayers. And this sort of thing happens from time to time. Now, I've asked Karen's permission because something happened. Uh, uh, I was working at Baptist churches and um, we, we had a prayer time uh, and Karen was there. And we kind of broke off into, into groups to pray. And I was praying with Karen. And uh, we, so we sit down and we, and we start praying. And immediately, often it's immediately I close my eyes. And I was at the dry cleaners. Now, I don't imagine being at the dry cleaners very often. In fact, I've never. I can't even think of it happening before. So why does that happen? I suddenly can see a dry cleaners in my mind. And all of a sudden, there was, you know, in the dry cleaners, there's these clothes that you press the button and they have these racks and they come like this. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about that. I can kind of see it on the screen of my mind. And, uh, and it moved and, and it stopped at this particular garment. And the garment was made for Karen. And it was really interesting because um, as, as we sat down to pray, I didn't know this at the time, Karen knew straight away when I said, I've got this picture in my mind of this. She knew straight away what it was. 
it turns out that Karen, there was a particular ministry that she was involved in, and she really asked, was asking God for discernment about whether or not to go down this track. And that just spoke to you straight. It just was that. It's obvious now because of this dry cleaner. Now, uh, Karen since has opened a dry cleaners. But <laughs> it had nothing to do with dry cleaners. It was about the garment. And, um, and so that sort of experience, I find, happens, doesn't happen every day, but it happens from time to time. And it's the screen of the mind. I find that God places things on the screen that when I then pray for someone or if I'm seeking guidance or sometimes even guidance for others, um, I find that God speaks that way. And I think it's God said to Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, I see the branch of an almond tree. You've seen correctly from watching. Almond and watching relate. God is into metaphors and pictures and all that sort of stuff. It happens quite regularly. It's like turning the dish to God to say, oh, Lord, I'm looking to receive from you. Now, you don't create it yourself. You wait for God to put something there. And I'm not saying this is everything, that this is not the only way this happens. Lots of other people experience lots of other things. But it happens for me quite regularly. Over time, you begin to discern, you begin to realize. Actually, the stuff that's appearing there is actually quite helpful. And so I'll regularly share it with someone if it comes up in prayer. And most of the time, it means something for them. Now, that doesn't, you know, sometimes you've got to think, what on earth does that mean? And you might not say it. You might say, Lord, can you give me wisdom about what I do with this thing? And somehow, you find a way forward. I find this really helpful in guidance. And I find it... Um, it, it can be the beginning of prophetic ministry when, when you're actually, uh, someone's asking you to pray for them and you have perceived something and you share it with them and often it's significant for them or you pray for them along those lines. I look, I ask, I wait, often praying along the lines of what I see and over time people have been blessed by that. Jesus said, he only does what he sees the Father doing. Somehow he has spiritual insight. Now, I think maybe he can just perceive from, you know, noticing things. But maybe there's this going on as well. He perceives according to the screen of the mind, the natural human faculty to visualize that the Holy Spirit uses. God is in heaven. God is a spirit. Uh, he doesn't, we don't often hear the voice of God audibly. But I think in other ways, God communicates to us. We have physical senses. I think we have spiritual senses as well. And one of the ways that God speaks to us, I think, is through the screen of the mind. So we did an experiment today. It was just about the human faculty of imagination. How do you use that? What do you do with it? My encouragement, next time you pray, go off to your room, whatever your quiet time looks like. Maybe you read the scriptures, maybe you pray. Spend some time and uh, look to the screen or say, Lord, show me if there's anything you need me to, to know or to do today. Look to the screen, see if anything comes up. If there is, ask God, what do I do with this? Ask him to guide you. It could be a direction for prayer. It might be something to share with someone. It might be guidance for, for something you, you're meant to do that day. And if you're going to share it, I would share it in a way of saying, you know, as I pray, I wonder if this is significant for you. 
I, I can see a picture of, of this in my mind. Has that, does that have any significance to you? I'm not going to say, you know, oh, I see a, a wedding dress. Oh, it looks like we'll be getting married. You don't go down that track because that becomes coercive. You've got to leave the person always free because it's their decision. I always would say something like, I wonder is that significant for you or how it might be significant for you. Now, it needs discernment. Stupid and silly things are done by people who are doing prophetic stuff. Whatever comes up on the screen of the mind, it's always to be discerned. You always test everything, hold on to the good. Growing in this sort of ministry is like learning to walk for a kid. Uh, you know, you recognize you're going to stumble a few times. Now, as a community, and you know, we watch a child learning to walk, we don't, a child falls down, we say, you stupid kid. Uh, we don't criticize, we just say, we help them up. And we, because we know that they're learning, they're on a journey. We don't laugh at them or criticize them. We encourage them. So now, I wonder, can we close our eyes again this time? And this time we'll ask in the context of prayer, Lord, speak to us. So let's close our eyes again. Now, nothing may happen, but for some people, there might be something there. And then the question is, God, what, you, what is that? What does that mean? So let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, you saw what the Father was doing. You were available for that. And then you got involved in that. And the work of God was completed on earth through your words, through your actions. Lord, I pray as we look, as Jeremiah did, what do you see? And Lord, give us sensitivity. And give us discernment. Guide us. Lord, we want to be available for you. And we want to be able to discern what is it that you're up to? What is your work? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for the, the things you want me to do in, with my life? What does it mean for the person I'll be talking with this afternoon? Guide us. That we might see what it is that you're doing. And then we might join you in that work. With all the wisdom and grace that comes from us. Let's stand to our feet. Brothers, sisters, come on down to that river. Guaranteed you'll never be the same. There's a fountain. For